Hello and welcome to the Gainline Wales Online's live rugby show coming to you on Facebook, live, YouTube and on Periscope. I'm your host, Ben James, and it's the big one this week. It's Wales v England in the Six Nations. Wales, of course, going for a triple crown. And I'm joined by uh, two stars of our show, Mark Orders and Simon Thomas. Gents, how are we doing? Well, stars of the show has been an exaggeration. We're the only ones on it, haven't we? Um, well, I've, I've moved up in the world. I've moved up in the world. I'm in the attic now, and uh, Wales are on the up, two from two. And that was the big one. I've been on Eddie Watch today, Eddie Jones. I know Mark's been running the rule over the Wales team, so we should have all uh, bases covered, really. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always, always interesting, isn't it? It is. It is. It's, uh, it's a busy week, and... Um, yeah, you know, Pivak has finally sort of sorted out his his midfield conundrum and come up with two players. In fairness, he probably whichever two that he picked would have would have done him justice. And uh, yeah, a few eyebrows have been raised with Jonathan Davis being picked, uh, not having much game time and form of late. But um, he's a quality player. We all know that. It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think. It, it, it certainly wasn't what we expected. You know, I think Johnny Williams, ever since he played that game against England, has looked like the man in possession of the 12 jersey. I think if you thought anyone was going to maybe threaten him, it was potentially going to be Willis Halaholo after what he did on the bench. Even, you know, you think back to when Foxy played at 12 against Italy, that was coming in at the last minute for Johnny Williams, who had trained with North. So North's done all of his training with Johnny Williams in the centre. So... It's a bit out of left field, this one, isn't it? It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because if you look back to that Italy game, which Wayne Pivak has quoted as saying he was pleased with how Jonathan Davis played there. Well, as you say, he only played there because Johnny Williams pulled out. So you kind of always thought that the revised position, once everybody was fit, would be to go back to what his you know main autumn selection was, which was Johnny Williams. Now, we're not entirely sure how much training Johnny's been able to do. I mean, we saw pictures of him, didn't we? We looked like he was ready and able to go. and He's not on any injured list. Uh, so it was, if you look at it today, interesting at the selection. But then when you heard Wayne Pivak talk, Mark, and you listened to this for your analysis piece, he did emphasise the kicking game. Now, I think it's fair to say that Jonathan Davis's kicking game isn't a thing of beauty, is it? It, it's a, it, it, can, it can look quite agricultural, but he does have a big left boot. We haven't really seen Johnny Williams that much as a kicking option. He's more of a you know, carrying option, which obviously Jonathan Davis is as well. But... The fact that Wayne Pivak made a point of referencing the kick in, that does seem to be a big factor. So I guess what you're looking at really is um, a situation where Wales are going to look to pinning England back through their halfback kicking, Hardy, bigger, and also in certain situations as an exit through Jonathan Davis, apply the pressure and maybe look to utilise and exploit that poor discipline that England have shown so far during that tournament. So, it might not be particularly pretty on the eye for a fair chunk of the game. It's, I think it's going to be, certainly from Wales' perspective early on, it's going to be a lot about power, directness and the kicking game. Yeah, he's, he's not renowned. You'd admit that, both of you would, that uh, Jonathan Davis isn't really renowned for his kicking game. Uh, I, I think we, we, we saw the, the kick, was it, that ended in Elliot Daly scoring? <laughs> Um, yeah, 2017. Eddie yeah, Jones referenced yeah. it today, yeah. But I, I, I think that uh, George North's form has sort of uh, flipped this issue a little bit. I think he played really well, George did, against Italy and against Ireland. And I think he nailed down that number 13 shirt. And then it was a question of whether or not 
Wayne Pivak could squeeze in Jonathan Davis, who after all is a big game player, um, into the Wales team. And uh, ultimately, he knows Jonathan Davis's game. Jonathan Davis has been an authentically great player for Wales over the last nine years, ten years. And Pivak knows him from the Scarlets. He trusts him. And uh, I think he just felt he needed to get him in there. And uh, hence, uh, yeah, it's the number 12 jersey for him. There's a couple of things here, aren't there? If you go back to the World Cup and you'd ask then, most people walking down the street in Westgate Street, who were Wales's world-class players? And probably two of the first names to come up on that list would be Alan jones and Jonathan Davis, you know? Jonathan was the player of the Lions Tour of New Zealand, which I was on. He was outstanding there. Um, but obviously, he's had this serious injury and, you know, another one in his career with his knee, put him out for a long while. And it has been hard for him to get back to, to fitness and form. But I suppose then you go back to another Lions tour and you think back to 2013, first two tests of that tour against um, Australia. Markey played at 12, didn't he, with, with O'Driscoll at 13 before John, Jimmy Roberts came back into fitness. So he does have experience there. And the one other thing I noticed Pivak saying, he didn't go as far as to say that Jonathan Davis had lost pace, but he did say something along the lines of, as you get older, perhaps your pace decreases to a degree. Now, if you look at um, the recent Cardiff Blues game against the Scarlets, Jonathan had quite a tough time up against Ray Lilo, who was a quality player, top quality player. And, you know, he, he goes around people for fun, Ray Lilo. He's got a great outside breaker. And he did, Jonathan, a couple of times in that game. So maybe there is a view that, you know, in the same way as George North is coming in towards not the end of his career, but a later stage of his career. Perhaps the view is everybody's shunting, shunting in one and 12 is now more of a role for Jonathan. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating selection. If it works, he's a genius. It Absolutely. is, and you're right. And Ben, I just say, I do think there is an element of a roll of the dice of this as well. It's a little <laughs> bit of, well, it's a little bit of a gamble there, I think. I think he's, uh, I think he's hoping that uh, Jonathan will sort of click into gear um, and uh, I've come good because we haven't had that much evidence of it in recent games. But um, as I said at the outset, an absolute quality player. And uh, as the old cliche goes, your know, class is permanent. The other interesting thing, Ben, today, and it kind of touches on this, Eddie Jones, um, he brought up the fact that he sees that Wales have reverted to more of a Warren Gatland style. Um, this this Six Nations, perhaps compared to when Wayne Pivak first took over. He didn't elaborate on it in a live section. He did in his embargoed section. The readers can read that in the, the 10 o'clock interview, which I'll have with him. He gives a bit more meat on the bone as to why. But that's interesting. And so maybe you mentioned the kicking, you know. So maybe what you're looking at is Jonathan Davis now is most slotting more into that Jamie Roberts role as the carrier at 12, and then what you're possibly going to see is after his initial carrier, if it, because there is threat out wide, you look at it, you've got real strike runners in North, Reese Samet, Liam Williams, Josh Adams. That's as dangerous a running foot quartet as you'll have seen Wales have in the outside channels for a long time. So possibly when they do have decent ball, Jonathan Davis trucks it up, quick hands then from Sheedy straight out to George North. That's the way you'd maybe think it's going to go. But I guess um, I guess all of that comes back to winning ball, though, doesn't it? Exactly. It's, you know, I think rugby is a, a relatively simple game. You can talk about Warren Ball and how Pivak wants to play, but ultimately, it's just it's about getting in the areas and then attacking from there. And I think that's what we've seen Wales do, maybe more than they did last year. But um, 
talk talking of, of North and Jonathan Davis in the centre, uh, of course, we're speaking about the man who's made the decisions, but let's hear what the man himself had to say. This is uh, Wayne Pivak talking about those two being picked in midfield. Yeah, a lot of that's done under Warren and, um, you know, well documented what he's done in the past. Certainly with this group, he's um, he's got a new lease of life, I think. Um, you know, the challenge of moving into centre has also excited him and, uh, you know, he's um, he's had a couple of weeks in that autumn where we sent away to club footy and he's responded really, really well to all the challenges we've put in front of him and speaks volumes of the player. You know, he's still highly motivated and wants to play for Wales well past 100 games and, um, I'm sure he's going to do that with the with the attitude that he's showing at the moment, and um, I'm sure the form that he'll bring to the 13 jersey. He brings a lot of excitement to the position. I think he's got that outside break. He's big and strong. Um, you know, he can do the donkey work if he needs to in the middle of the park. And um, and Jonathan brings a wealth of experience. And uh, we looked at him as a 12, not as a 13. And uh, the last time he played for us uh, was at 12 against Italy. And I thought he did a good job in attack and defence on, on that particular day with, uh, you know, just homework on the computer as his preparation and the match day warm-up as um, Johnny was down to play uh, and start in that game. And we weren't going to use um, Fox at all. So we're thinking now with a good week's preparation under his belt in combination with George, and also how how players have looked in training is important as well. And um, certainly, Foxy's looking very, very good from our point of view. And when he pulls that Welsh jersey on, um, he never lets the team down. It's a big game. He's got plenty of experience. So, yeah, there you go. That, that's that's what uh, Wayne Pivak uh, had to say. Sam, you look like you've got something to, to add to that. Well, it just made me think, you know, who'd have thought it that we've got a George North-Jonathan Davis centre partnership and the concern is more about Jonathan Davis because, you know, we talked for a long time, can George North adapt to the centre role? And then, you know, now we're quite comfortable. Nobody's really sort of raising any questions. Just about everybody had him at 13 in their preferred team, as I can remember, writers, pundits, but everybody. The concern is about a guy who's, you know, played in six Lions tests and 80-plus caps, you know, world-class player. But I guess that, Mark, is a reflection that it's been a tough 18 months for Jonathan, isn't he, or 13, 14 months? It's been an horrendous um, sort of 17 months for him, really, since that World Cup. Um, one injury after another, and, and when he's he's come back for the Scarlets, uh, any glimpse of form then has been followed by a little bump or niggle, and he's just found it hard to get back to where everybody knows he can be. And... Um, and and it's cost him really, as as I say, what Pivak is saying, but there about his 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 pace, perhaps you know that that's that's fair enough, isn't it? You need to be quick, I guess, to play in the outside channel. If Jonathan Davis has lost a yard of pace, then um, then it perhaps makes sense. Uh, looking at that mind, I think that uh, I don't think Wales have got the the most creativity uh, around there with with Dan bigger at, at ten and. Jonathan Davis, perhaps. There's no obvious footballing influence in that 12 slot there. And you mentioned all the strike power they have out wide, and they do, and with Liam uh, Williams at the back as well. But I, I kind of um, I kind of think, well, perhaps there's, there's not the creativity, but it goes back to what you're saying. Wales have won trophies of silverware in the past um, without obvious creativity in that inside centre role. I mean, the other thing I suppose is you can you can see it really being a 
a power-focused game for an hour, and then you do have the likes of Halla Hollow and Sheedy to come on and show what they did against Scotland, where you know things are a little bit looser and they hit their straps nicely. See what I mean? You, you could well see that kind of scenario developing as well, couldn't you? Um, but it's interesting. I, I spoke to David Flatman, um, former England prop, now top pundit in the week, and he basically said, look, you know, as much as you don't want rugby, top rugby to be about blunt force trauma, it generally is. And he said, the key to me is that England have got more power in their side, more power ball carriers. So maybe, again, that's, you know, having Jonathan there, again, does give you that option of more power, doesn't it? So, again, and you can certainly see it being, a you know, a biff-bang process for certainly a good 50 minutes this game. Yeah, I think, I think if you look at... Maybe the last four, five Wales England games, uh, you know, with Eddie Jones as head coach, Wales have tended to open things up when it reaches the last quarter. You think 2019, you know, they they were losing at half time, then they managed to sort of get a flow of possession and, and start building a lead and, and score two tries late on. The year before, they looked most threatening in that final quarter when Anscombe came on and uh, you know he had the try to allow Scott Williams nearly went in the corner. Most occasions, Wales tend to sort of come into things later on and that's that's a, a tendency of sort of how England play as well England like to sort of start well and, and just grind you down with kicking and physicality and that's what they're going to do I think or try to do on the weekend I think the England team that we've seen so far in the Six Nations especially Scotland where they kicked so much I don't think we'll necessarily see as much kicking from England I think they're going to tone it down a little bit and sort of try keep ball in hand but they're still the areas of the game where they're going to try win it is the kicking battle and just being physically dominant. I think that's probably where the selection comes from is you've got a 10, 12 who can both kick, even, you know, we say Fox isn't the best kicker, but I think with no half penny, he's going to slot in at first receiver at times, like half penny did against Ireland. He'll kick. And then it's just about basically Wales kicking well for 60 minutes, playing under the blitz and, and, and not getting physically dominated and not playing out of poor areas. Yeah, you're you're right. What Wales have got to do, uh, as we said at the outset, they've got to win a little bit more ball. Um, The last thing they want is to have England sort of dominated 60-70% of possession, as Scotland and Ireland did. Um, Obviously, Wales got through, you know, there was... They were up against depleted numbers, but Wales don't. They, their pack needs to function, needs to work as a ball-winning entity. Um, we, we talk about creativity, mind. Uh, I will say I, I've watched England twice this season, and they haven't been fantastically creative at 9 and 10. And uh, I don't think Owen Farrell is playing particularly well. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I'm not expected to see Barbarians uh, New Zealand 1973 reprised all over again. Um, well, it's, it's they're, they're marked. According to the great Sir Ian Botham, they're not a happy camp and they're there for the taking. So, there we are. Happy days, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> they haven't actually been playing that well, in fairness to him. They haven't. And, um, <laughs> against Scotland, they were missing their two first-choice props. And they had to get by on 35% possession. And Scotland actually took them on physically and dominated them. And when they did that, England had nowhere else to go. They didn't have the creativity behind. And um, it's a big ask. But if the Welsh pack confront up, then, you know, it's uh, anything's possible. 
I watched that Scotland game back the other week, you know, to get a bit of context of what lies ahead. And they did a big number on England's two main ball carriers. Everyone knows what Billy Vunapola, but Ellis Genge is a big carrier for them and he starts as well. They really targeted those two, knocked them back in the tackle. England had nowhere else to go particularly. And they also targeted England's line-out very effectively. Johnny Gray had an outstanding game. Now, the question is, Vunapola, Billy Vunapola for me, is always the kind of fulcrum of our England play. Um, when he goes well, when he gets them going forward, they look a different side. He's been very critical of himself this week, hasn't he? I think, did he use the word coward to describe his performance or something along those lines? Yeah, it was, yeah. He was very, very down on his performance. So I think he's going to be fairly motivated. And if he can find his form, because obviously he's not played much because of the Saracen situation, if he can play... You know, as we know, we can get England on the front foot. It becomes a much, much tougher day, and which then makes even more importance on the Welsh defence step it up, as it has done in those powerful collisions. You know, when Wales have been undone defensively, it's not been so much in the bashing away, you know, crashing away, dealing with that situation. It's been other areas. So that's a big, big game for Wales. And of course, 2019, uh, Billy Vona Probably the peak of his powers then. Josh Navidi almost did a kind of Joe Worsley style man marking. Remember Joe Worsley and Jamie Roberts back in the day? Picked him out time and again, time and again. It's a huge ask for Josh. He's had so little rugby, isn't he, Mark, for the last year? But we know what he can do, and he's asked to do those targeted defensive jobs. And I think he will have his eyes firmly on Billy Vunapola this weekend. Well, he's, he's a top player, isn't he? He's. he's... He's just an outstanding rugby player. He's he, he's a team player as well. He's utterly selfless. And he came back against England uh, back in March with so little rugby. And yet uh, he was an 8, 9 out of 10 performer. Fantastic. And uh, when he played uh, against... Uh, he came off the bench for Dan Lydiat. Again, no rugby at all in the... Preceding few months or 25 minutes for Cardiff Blues. And again, 20 tackles. Um, how he does it is is something else, really. You're not supposed to be able to do that. But uh, he is some player. And uh, Lewis Moody's calling that Welsh back row a perfectly balanced trio. Yeah, I, I, think think it, it I think it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Because I think we've said in this podcast many times, Ben, haven't we, that the Tipperick-Falatau combination works at his best when you've got a real donkey work grafter yeah. at six you know someone who's going to do the sort of the grunt to you know we know josh can play other ways but he can certainly do that role and it's a lovely balance to it the one thing with having him there and wainwright not in the 23 you do lose you know quite an important line out option aaron has been aaron has been good for wales in that area so to me obviously they'll use tipperick they'll use adam and jones but to me one of the absolute key factors about this weekend, and Mark's a big fan of him, I know, is Adam Beard. He he played a big role in transforming that Welsh line-out um, against Scotland, obviously along with Ken Owens. But Adam's the line-out caller, made the right decisions, changed tack, lost one at the, at the back to start with, came for safe ball at the front, sorted the line-out out, became more confident, took more calls on himself. If Wales are going to have a good chance this weekend, Adam Beard needs to reproduce that because he was tremendous against Scotland, I thought. He was, yeah. and he wasn't yeah. just good uh, in the lineouts. He was really good around the field. I had a look at that game back as well, and 
it wasn't just that he was trying to carry the ball, but he was passing it nicely. You know, I think in the, in the build-up to Lewis Rees-Samet's second try, it was his oh, key pass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's a skillful rugby player. Um, and I've noticed, really, oh, this season, he's taken on responsibility at the Ospreys. He's been their line-out caller. And he's just grown as a person and as a rugby player. And, um, yeah, you know, Wales have got to... They simply got to make sure their lineup is okay. They seem to have had problems there since Crikey when Franco Prussian War. You know, it's it's been it's it's been awful. Do you, do, you do, you, do you cover that conflict? I didn't. No, no. I. You were involved in that. You, 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 you live tweeted. Were you, you tweeted from the front? <laughs> from the front. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I, I think Wales have. Uh, Lineup problems for a long time, and they've uh, they seem to things seem to calm down during the Gatlin era, but pretty poor really in the first year of Wayne Pivak's uh, tenure. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was good to see an improvement uh, in the last match. There's a, there's a couple yeah. of factors, isn't there? I think there, you yeah. know, with the consistency of Beard being selected, like they've changed lineup callers. Is it nine times in the last year, and now Beard's having a run of games, and also they. It sounds simple, but they're finally learning how to make safe ball effective ball. You know, last year it was everything had to go to the tail and it had to be risky ball to set the platform to attack in midfield. Now they can hit the front and they can play off safe ball and they can still keep that sort of same platform that doesn't affect their attacking game. So it's it's good to see how they're evolving that because that's, that's a sort of trend that's sort of coming on in the club game a lot now where safe ball is becoming a lot more viable for for attacking ball. But it felt last year like Wales sort of had to roll the dice more than they should have. So, um, yeah, they're definitely the line out some of this improvement. And that, that allows you then in turn to maybe not go with Wainwright on the bench and go with James Botham, who looked really good at Murrayfield. And it's just, it's the perfect opportunity. Without in, if there's no injuries, Navidi can empty the tank just just hammer everything in the tackle and then James Botham comes on and basically does the same to finish the match. That's that's a great position to be in if you're Wayne Pivak, just having them two. But the thing is, with line out, you know, safe ball isn't the best ball, but it's better than no ball. You exactly, know what I mean? Yeah. And if you look at it, as the confidence grew in the line out in that game against Scotland, three of the four tries came from line outs. And if you notice, as they went on progressively, they were off line-out drives that went further and further. There was a little rumble for Lewis Free Samet's first one. I think about a 15-metre one ahead of Liam Williams' cross. And then the, la- the third one, which is Wynne Jones, you know, from close range, they went about 25 metres on that rumble, Ken Owens in, in the van. So you could see the confidence market and you could grow in, in, in that line-out. And if, if you can get that rolling mall going, you know, and it's effective. It's one of the hardest things to stop in rugby. We've said that for so long, isn't it? You know, you can you can talk about it as much as you want, but you've got to still stop it. And if Wales can get that moving against England, it's going to be hard. But if they can, you do know they've got the strike runners and the strike moves. We've seen that. And the way Wales are playing as well, with the great emphasis on offloading now, they're a dangerous side with bowling. And we keep going back to that stat, don't we? Six tries from two minutes, 33 seconds, the opposition 22. You know, with about three of those seconds with Reese Samet scorching his way across it for the last try, you know. So they've shown potency. Getting more ball, getting more time in the opposition 22 is the key, really. Yep. What do you make, Ben? What do you make, Ben, of, of the selection of Scrum Half? I mean, that was literally the, the, the thing I was going to get onto just now. And um, it's a bit cold to start Kieran Hardy, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, he's only got a handful of caps 
to his name, but I think if you're looking at, I think for me, the key has been Wales's kicking so far in the tournament. I think that's the one area that let them down. And that's to me, that's the main area that, that was threatening to sort of cost them victory at Murrayfield. I think the first 40 minutes were largely built on poor kicking. Um, and that largely comes from just aimless box kicks, you know, um, that they're either too long for the chase or you're not moving the backfield, manipulating the backfield enough. Same with the contestable kicking from Dan Bigger. I think too much of that is basically Wales are kicking on the assumption that if the chase doesn't win the high ball, then that's their job done. And, and it, while most teams, you sort of kick to, even if you don't win the, the high ball, you put pressure on with the chase. Wales sort of seem to have it backwards a little bit in this. So anytime Wales get into a kicking battle, they tend to come out second best because of the the lack of aimless kicking, the, the, sorry, the aimless kicking, the lack of distance with any of the boot, and just just you know just tactical things. But when Kieran Hardy came on, the first thing he did was a, a twenty seconds in box kick, puts Duan van der Merwe under pressure. He takes the ball. He has to run backwards to get away from the tackle. Scotland then come back round to the the blind side, and Willis Halaholo's there to make a, a turnover at uh, the breakdown because Scotland are under pressure from that. They, they score the try that gets them back to within two points. And then virtually the rest of the game then was spent with Scotland putting Wales, you know, with kickoffs back into a half and Kieran Hardy winning sort of territory back with just good, clean kicking. So I think if he can kick like he did on the weekend, it's going to be absolutely massive. Because I think that's the one area where Wales have really, really struggled in the Six Nations so far. And the irony is that the best box kicker in Welsh rugby is in the squad, but not in the 23 in Lloyd Williams. But I yeah. guess... There is a, a, a kind of view, I think, and it's fair to say this, that, that Kieran is, is really nicely developing his box kicking game, his general kicking game. And he does bring a lot of other things in terms of, especially his support right lines when he's running. I mean, he's, he sniffs out a try, he pops up on the shoulder of carriers. And with the offloading game, he's probably the ideal scrum off for that kind of role. Um, big test for him. You know, God, it's only two or three years ago he's playing for Jersey in the English in a second flight. So um, it's a great story. He left the Scarlets, went to England, dropped down a level, came back. Now he's playing against England in a Six Nations Triple Crown match. It's a brilliant story. And I hope it really goes well for the kid because he's a nice lad as well. I think that, uh, I think they probably see him as, as Pivak has said in the past about the, when he, he was justifying uh, Reese Webb's exclusion, you know, that he lost a, Oh, he didn't have the pace of the other three when Thomas Williams was in the squad. You talk about ex- explosive pace. I think they're hoping that Hardy will provide something of a halfway house, if you like. He's got that explosive pace, and they're hoping that he'll show the game control and, and the box kicking that Ben referred to and, um, and really provide an answer to a problem that's really sort of been prevalent throughout the Pivac reign. Uh, I was looking at the stats this morning and no one has played more than two games in a row at Scrum Half. I mean, it has been out because Thomas Williams has been injured so often, but uh, it's been a real issue for them. And if he can sort of achieve that nice balance, really, between getting good game control and a good kicking game, but he's also very, very quick. And if he can bring all that to the table, then, yeah, hopefully he'll do well. Well, the thing is, if you look at it, it's been an absolute revolving door, isn't it? You know, with all the people who have been involved there, you know, 
changing like a merry-go-round really isn't it at scrum half but you just wonder whether we're now reaching the point with Pivak is perhaps if you look at it you've got Gareth Davis, Reese Webb, Lloyd Williams all in their 30s now and you've got the two younger boys there in Kieran Hardy and Thomas Williams are we maybe now with this selection because Thomas I think you know will come will started the championship maybe we are starting to see the move mark towards those two younger scrum halves being the ones to move ahead with um towards the world cup and they're, they're talented boys I, I go back to um Liam Williams's try against Scotland I remember watching that back closely to watch exactly what happened because it was it was a nice move you know if you look back in here with um Reece Samick coming off his line and hitting hitting a nice line off um, Callum Sheedy. But what struck me there was the pass from Hardy to Willis Hallahollow. Hallow went to first receiver. And I watched it back. I think on some of the, there must be somebody between Hardy and Hallahollow because he seemed so far away. It was like 25 metre bullet pass straight to Hallahollow. And when you've got the ability to do that, you know, and you've got that kick in developing game, you've got a support line, you know, perhaps Kieran Hardy is a star in the making. I don't know if the curse on him for this weekend. Oh. But um, there's a lot about his game to like, isn't there? That was the key with that that try you mentioned there is obviously Halaholo takes it at first receiver, but he's not really standing at first receiver. He's technically standing in at the twelve position because she did the ten, and and minutes. the pass and the pass just completely cuts across. She oh. hits. Hits Alaholo and then Sheedy can loop round, and that's what catches Scotland. I guess it's fantastic pass. It's it's straight from the sort of Bristol playbook of Sheedy sort of basically dissing himself on plays when he stood at ten, and it works so well. And that that comes down to sort of kicks it off with with Hardy's pass, as you mentioned. Um, I think we basically put most of the start in fifteen to right. Obviously, Josh Adams is back. That's uh, it, it. Seems a fairly big call, but I suppose you know. Now that Liam's gone to full back, we don't really know whether half penny was in too much consideration. It, it makes sense. Um, what, what do we make of the bench? Because that's been well, it's it, it's always a key part of rugby. And to be fair, at Murrayfield, the bench was a massive factor in in winning the match. So, so how, how do we sort of see the bench heading into this one? Will Rowlands is an interesting one, isn't it? I, I've spoken to a lot of people about Will Rowlands. And, and there seems to be a lot of juries out on him, you know, in, in terms of, you know, because clearly Wayne Pivak was an admirer of his, brought him in, and he's, he's given him quite a bit of game time, and he's done nothing particularly wrong. Um, but now we've gone to Corey Hill. Now, you wonder whether that was a, a reflection of the fact that Corey obviously came into the championship with a hamstring issue. Uh, I don't think was available for the first run. So you, you don't know exactly what would have happened if Corey had been there. You know, it's an interesting what's happened in second row because Jake Paul has said, after a certain instance, he's disappeared completely off the radar. Mark, what, what do you make of that? <laughs> well, yeah, seemingly. Um, I look at England's bench as well, mind, and uh, England have gone through a 6 2 split. So they're obviously going to try to sort of do a number on wheels and forward. But uh, yeah, there's look. I mean, England England's bench is good. It's potent, you know. They've got uh, game breakers as well. Even even the two guys behind the scrum. I've been impressed with that uh, Dan Robson uh, when when he's come off the bench. Max Marlins is a player you probably wouldn't want to be seeing coming onto the pitch in the, the final 15, 20 minutes. He's a game breaker, and uh, Will's going to be have to be alive to that. But uh, no, the Will's bench is is. Uh, I'm mildly surprised that uh, Will Rowlands has, uh, has has been left off the bench. I thought he was busy um, when, when he played against Scotland. You know, seven tackles. He wasn't on that long. 
and uh, he put in a bit of a shift. They obviously like they they would have been they were they would factor in what these guys have been doing in training, and um, otherwise there's no incentive to try particularly hard in training. And I just assume that Corey Hill has stood out in training. Um, well, Yes, he's a good leader as well, Mark, isn't he? A good leader. Yeah, he is a leader, and um, he's uh, he's done well against England in the past as well, hasn't he? He was he had a tremendous game as a starter back in twenty nineteen, yeah, and uh, when he yeah. when he scored yeah. that try as well, he, well, he should do a good job for them, I'm sure. Very experienced. In contrast, then on the England bench, they have got firepower, but they've got uh, uncapped nineteen year old George Martin coming in, like you know, and. and for people of uh, my and Mark's age, I'll give you a little thought. Let's hope it's a, a long and winding road for England the weekend. Mark will get that one. <laughs> yeah. Very, very good. Um, obviously, just flashed a comment up there from uh, Bob Gower saying that England have picked six forward replacements. They've gone for a 6-2 split on the bench. Obviously, you mentioned George Martin there. And it's in the past, when Eddie Jones has picked 6-2 splits against Wales, he's tended to go with two locks. Uh, but the last couple of times he's gone with two flankers. Now, in fairness, George Martin very much falls in between the two camps. But you'd probably, you know, given his physicality, he's just as capable of playing in, in a flanker he is. And I suppose that's we it, that's a re- direct response to the damage that Josh Navidi has just caused yeah. over the last couple of occasions. It's interesting. Um, Eddie was asked specifically about George Martin today at the press conference, you know, and how long he's been watching him and what he sees as his attributes. Now, he described him as an out-and-out six. Yeah. Um, in terms of the work ethic that he's got, um, the grafting, and said he was somebody who might mature at some later date to a lock. So he's he's gone for another six there. I mean, I do think the loss of Courtney Laws um, is a blow for England. He, he's a, a player who impacts. He's athletic in his carrying. We know about his hits and his work in the lineout. Um, they've got now um, coming into his place Wilson, Mark Wilson. The, you know, who's a worker, isn't he? A real worker, but perhaps doesn't quite have the sort of um, you know the, the stardust that that, that the laws can bring to it. And then you've got a very young kid um, at six as an option off the bench. And I think the, what the gentleman said in his comment, though, is probably right. When you've got a six-two split, as you had with South Africa in the World Cup, you know it's going to be a long day because the forward pummeling is going to carry on for 80 minutes and there'll be big, big piano shifters coming off the bench around 50, 60 minutes, you know. Well, I had a text the day after the uh, England-Italy game from from a guy I know and he said, uh, put your money on uh, Ellis Genge being the next guy to be sent off against Wales. And oh. I, I got to say, I watched I that match. So. <laughs> I watched that match and he, he did not buddy up to the Italian forwards. There were several skirmishes. Ref didn't like him. So, look, I'm not saying he, he's, he's going to go or anything, but I'm saying there's potentially there a discipline issue with Alice Genge. When he we all remember off. what happened two years ago, Mark, with Alan Wynne-Jones and Kyle Sinclair. Alan mm-hmm. Wynne-Jones got, got under his skin. Sinclair gave two penalties away in quick succession. An absolute momentum shifter in the game. England have talked before, haven't they, about Wales, in particular Alan Wynne Joan being a there's been a bit of a wind up version with them. And you know, uh, I'm sure that Alan will, you know, he, he, what's, 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 what, what should we say? He'll be looking to sort of put his view across to the referee at various points. Yeah. Who, who is the ref this week, Mark? Anyway, who have we got to, Ben? 
Oh, you've asked me the one question I'm not really sure about. Um, I mean, you have to look that one up. I mean, that was a big factor, isn't it? I can't think of it is. Um, but it's interesting. You mentioned Eddie point. Jones and Alan Wynn there. I think what, what was it? Did Eddie Jones say that Alan Wynn Jones has a has a history of targeting English players? Yeah. Was that the, the, the direct that was, word? That was in the embargoed section. She better not mention that. Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> what word saber there? What word saber? What's the breach of embargo? What word saber there? Is that England did try to wind up Alwyn Jones as well at Twickenham in March? It swings around about it, it goes on. And um, Sigler was uh, Gatland picked him out, he was very clever, he, he suggested he was a bit of a time bomb, and so it proved. Um, as I say, discipline is hugely important. Fewer penalties you give away, you know, you got world class goal kickers on the pitch, you know, in Farrell and, and Dan Bigger. So I think that's going to be critical as well, and um, it's uh, it really is up to uh, it's up to Wales to maintain their discipline, and um, yeah, same goes for the other lot as well. Dave, David Hughes in the comments is telling us French ref. Uh, I don't know if that helps your your frantic Google searches. Yeah, so you keep going while I'm googling. Go on, you keep chatting. I suppose, yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm coming to it. It's round two. We're getting there. You know, the internet, uh, as Andy Howell used to say, should be pinned, the internet. Right, um, Pascal Gauzet. Pascal Gauzet with the referee. With oh, no, Andrew Brace on, uh, as one of the assistants. All right. Okay. And Frank Murphy is the another assistant. And Andrew Brace will be cheered all the way through Cardiff on the way to the <laughs> Well, he is actually from Cardiff. You know, that's the irony of all of this this week. <laughs> They put rose petals down in front of it. <laughs> I, think, I think the less said about Andrew Brace this week, the, uh, the better. I'll tell you the other thing. You've touched on something there, Mark, which is the one thing we haven't really spoken about. You know, Wales, England is an incredible occasion. 75,000 people. There'll be about 500 people at this game. Um, does that, in your view, have much of a bearing on how the game will proceed? No, that's a huge bearing. Full stop. We said before that your home advantage is absolutely critical when Wales play England. It's nine points minimum in terms of influencing the the home side. The Welsh players demoralising the opposition and striking the fear of God into them, really, and of course influencing the referee as well. And so all these factors combine, and um, it does definitely have a bearing. Um, and we've seen that in in matches throughout the season, you know, with a lot more away wins. Uh, but it's particularly relevant uh, in this fixture. I would rewind sort of eight years, you know, to 2013. I'd say that was probably the best atmosphere I've ever experienced at a sportive occasion when Wales played England. And um, it's just a crying shame that um, supporters can't be allowed in. But, of course, you know, that's the way it is. That's the way the world is. Yeah, I mean, there's probably the contenders for me would be other Wales-England games, market at Wembley in 99. Different kind of atmosphere. And then also Wales-England 93, the 10-9 game. I, I spoke to Hugh Williams-Jones, who propped in that game about it, and he was telling some great stories about that day. That was an extraordinary occasion. And it's funny, isn't it? You know, I've written my newsletter on it this week on the fact that, you know, Wales have become very successful over the last 10 years. You know, probably their ambitions have increased. You know, the Grand Slam, Six Nations titles, World Cup semi-finals, and England isn't everything now, but it's still the biggest game, probably, isn't it? You know, it's there will still be more people reading our material this week, more people tuning in than for any other game, and you know, and who'd have thought it? It's a triple crown game, 
At which point, Ben, I think you then have to ask us for our predictions. Oh, perfect segue. Absolutely. I couldn't have done it better myself. So then, gents, how do we see the match going? Let the man from my stake go first. <laughs> I didn't see this coming, to be honest, naively. <laughs> what I was thinking. Um, I mean, look, I, I mean, I haven't come to even put things down on paper and do head-to-heads or anything, so I'm in danger of seriously contradicting myself, Ben. But uh, I, I think that uh, Wales may just edge it. Um, I've seen England this year. They're not great, and... Um, I uh, I think Wales are building. I I like the look of their pack, um, and I think they um, if if they can sort of if they can win fifty percent or so of the ball, they they may just edge it. Um, and um, I I I don't think England are that brilliant, and um, I think there's enough quality there. Uh, if you were put it together, a sort of combined side, you'd have a lot of worse players in that side. I think so. For me, it's just an arrow Wales win. I'm going for England to win by five points, but that's primarily because in my predictions for the last two games, I went for Scotland and Ireland to beat Wales. Got those horribly wrong, I was delighted to say. So I'm now going for my own personal triple crown to guide Wales to the trophy. Um, in all seriousness, I, I do listen to what the likes of Danny Kerr have said, you know, and it's just a feeling that. You have seen it before with England when they, they stutter, they lost to Scotland, they've taken a lot of criticism so far. And you just worry a little bit that this might be the game they hit their straps, you know, a serious encounter against a team that's won a couple of games. So I think all things balanced, as Marx has taken away that, that home advantage, I think particularly important for this game. I think overall, looking at Wales and England over the last 18 months, you'd say you'd say England marginal favourites. But as I say, it was wonderfully wrong the last two times. So here we go. Three in a row, please. Yeah, can I say that England are marginal favourites with the bookmakers, aren't they, I think? Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, you, you say that you know, England have got to hit their straps sometime. You're probably right. But growing up as a kid, I can remember they went 28 years without hitting their straps. <laughs> so don't back on that. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. Uh... <laughs> I think Wales by a handful of points, maybe as much as five. Uh, I've thought that, to be honest, since since the victory over Scotland, I just thought that now Wales are going to put something together in the next two weeks and uh, and I think they're going to raise their game for this one. Um, my only concern is I feel like there's a lot of Welsh optimism rising in the build-up to this last week. So that makes me less confident, bizarrely. I, I feel, you know, less sure of my convictions now that sort of there's a, there's a groundswell of maybe optimism behind it uh, than when it was just a sort of what one person's random musings in the, in the middle of pessimism. Um, and your man yeah. of the match for Wales, Mark and Ben, who's going to be a man of match for Wales? Who do you think is going to be the key man? Well, now we know his name. It's probably Pascal Gozer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, Wales have got a number of world-class players in their, in their pack. Tipperick is always world-class for me. He's been... He's, he's been remarkable, the levels he's played at. So if you were... But then Tulbe Falato as well is, is in prime form. So And Alan Wynne-Jones tends to play well against England. So, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, one of those guys, I guess. I'd love to see Josh Adams emerge as man of the match. He's been a, a turbulent old Thailand Premier and scored for a long while. But we do know that when he gets opportunities, you've all talked about Rhys Samet's ability to finish. You've got another top finisher there. I'd like to see things turn for him. I'd have all forget what he did. I'll remember what he did two years ago with that 
clean shin try. Love to see him come back to top form. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It's seriously though, it's this Josh Navidi for me. I think England are going to try dominate us physically. He's going to have to do a lot of work in the first sixty minutes, and um, I think if anyone can, Josh Navidi can. So uh, there we go. F- fairly optimistic and positive end into this uh, Facebook live, gents. Um, Who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought it? There we go. So uh, that's it's been an interesting forty-five minutes, and uh, it's only going to get more interesting now in the coming days. Of course, it's Wales v England on Saturday. You can catch all the action on Wales Online. Mm-hmm.